Hello, I'm Cathy Harvey and you're listening to Inspiring Women, a podcast series from Oxford University's Said Business School, a series of talks that highlight and celebrate inspiring women in the world of business and beyond. In this episode, we meet Rika Rosenland, who shares her story of how to build a company based on passion. Danish-born Rika started her professional career as a statistician at the Organisation for Economic Development. She's worked in marketing and business development, in the automobile industry in Panama, in financial services in London, but today she is the inspiring founder and CEO of Borrow My Doggy, an online network connecting dog owners with dog lovers. So how did she turn her pet project into a platform that now has three quarters of a million visitors? Here's Rike Rosenland. So it all started, it's getting close to six years ago, when I borrowed this very cute brown Labrador called Aston. And we spent the entire day together. And I just remember thinking, why are people spending so much money on dog walkers or kennels or leaving their dog home alone when I would love to take care of a dog for free. And I thought there really should be a website connecting people like me with local dog owners because everyone would benefit. Owners would have their dogs taken care of by someone who loves dogs. Dogs would be the really big winners because they get more walks and love and attention. And I would get that happy dog time. So from there, I told one of my friends about the idea. And he said to me, sounds great, but did you know that 60 to 70% of technology startup companies go bust in the first three to four years and around, I think, 90% within the first 10 years? So your probability of making it is really not very big. (laughs) So he said, why don't you go and you test the idea before you actually give up your job and, and kind of start using all your savings on this concept? So he sent me to something called the Lean Startup Machine, don't know how many of you guys in here have heard about it, but I suspect some people won't have heard about it. But essentially, it's a way to test ideas before you, you kind of build something. So say, for instance, I don't know, years ago, you want to sell shoes online. What you could do is obviously you could go to Italy, you know, find a shoemaker, come back, find a distribution location, set up a website, integrate payment solutions, start marketing it. At this point, you probably spent at least all your savings and about a year of your time, a lifetime. And then from there, you would then, you know, go ahead and launch. And at that point, you would find out if this is something that people want to to do, as in buy shoes online, or not. The alternative way of doing this is say um, you run down to your local shoe shop, you buy 15 pairs of shoes, you take a photo of them, you upload them on a website. And then from there, you start marketing them. If people then click on buy, you can send them a PayPal request and you run down to your shoe shop, buy the pair, send them off. If they don't have them, you can just say we're out of stock. So this concept, you could actually just test over a weekend without giving up your job and set a year of your life. So I did the same. I went to this lean startup machine. I pitched the idea. Um, I think there was around um, 60 to 70 of us and the idea came in as number one. And I started working with a group of four people on it that weekend. And so we created a landing page, you know, put up posters in Hampstead Heath, and then we just waited to see what happened. And the most amazing thing happened, which was we had 85 people signed up to the site in the space of three days. And it was, the, it was just the most amazing um, stories because we asked people that little beautiful question of why, like, why have you signed up? 
And people's stories were everything from, there was an old man down in Cornwell who just had an operation and needing help with taking his dog for long walks. And then there was um, lots of students and young professionals who missed their dogs at home and who would love to help take care of a dog. And then there was a family with a little girl who was just begging for a dog, but she was still scared of them. So the family didn't want to get a dog to maybe have to give it up because obviously that wouldn't be fair to the dog. And when I read that, I literally just started crying because I've always wanted a dog. And I just thought, oh my gosh, not another little girl without a dog. We must help her or I must help her. So at that point, it moved from being a concept to a very personal um, mission. And as part of the Lean Startup machine, we kind of really looked into what problems we would be solving. And we realized that there was lots of different issues, both from a, a problems, both from a dog owner's, but also from a dog borrower's perspective. So from an owner's perspective, well, you know, most owners can't spend 24 hours a day with their dog because of family commitments or work or travel. There's also a lot of dogs that unfortunately I left um, home alone without the, the one-to-one care. And finally, um, dog care is really expensive. And plus, it is important too that dogs are socialized, that they spend lots of time with, with different people. And then from a borrower's perspective, well, lots of us can't have a dog because we might not have the time, we might not have sufficient money, or we might not live the right place. So there's lots of reasons. And some people are thinking about getting a dog, but they just kind of want to help test it first and figure out what the right breed is even for them. So we found out there was lots of problems. And we also thought that, you know, the concept like Borrow My Doggy, it is something that would solve or help both sides of the marketplace, of both owners and borrowers. So the way Borrow My Doggy works today is um, people sign up and they create a profile. And first they write a little bit about themselves, they upload a photo, and then from there they go in and search for local members. So they search first and foremost based on location and then availability, and then they read each other's profiles. And then once they have found someone they, they like and would love to write to or meet up with, they become premium members, so what we call premium members, which is subscribers. And then from there, they message, and then they meet and agree. So Borrow My Doggy is based around creating local communities. It's about getting to know someone well in your local area. It's not about handing a, a dog over to a stranger. It's about really getting to know each other well. The business model, well, people who borrow dogs, they pay $12.99 per year. So it's, what is it, about a pound per month? And people who own dogs, they pay $44.99 per year. And our subscriptions include verification. So we verify all of our members. It also includes insurance. So we both have medical emergency insurance and public liability insurance. And then finally, everyone has access to a 24-7 deadline where you can even call up as a dog owner and just discuss, you know, the health or eating habits of your dog. But how did we get from, you know, the lean startup machine to where we are today? So after we had the concepts and validated and we had the first 85 members signed up, from there, what we did was we relaunched the website and we put up a few more pages, including privacy policy, terms and conditions, all these things that a normal website really should be having, even though to begin with, obviously, we did not spend lots of money on lawyers. We found you know, some free terms and conditions and modified them um, and uploaded them on, on our website. We also spent a lot of time on writing out FAQs. So all the questions people would have about how would I know this is safe? You know, how does the website 
work, et cetera. While we hadn't really figured it out yet, what we did was we did our very best to, to write up with how we wanted it to work like. And then from there, um, to begin with, everything was manual matching. So for one manual match, um, it was actually 55 emails to begin with. So what I first did was I lived around Fulham at the time. So I looked at all of our members who'd signed up in Fulham. I would find local dog owners and borrowers. I would literally send an email, say, hey, can I come over? And then I would hear why they had signed up. I would get to know them well. And then I would find people locally in the area who I thought they would fit well with. And then I would manually match them. So it wasn't like me introducing two people who I'd never met before. I actually went in person to get to know our first members well. And then once I had figured out how to make that process work, I figured, okay, well, one of the reasons I'm going to visit people is also to validate who they are. How can I do that in a different way? So, I f so we figured out, well, PayPal, you know, you can, you can do verify by PayPal. Um, so hence what we did was we started to ask just for payment of one penny so we could ver validate the address. Or alternatively, we would ask them for, you know, a copy of you know, a three-month-old electricity bill or something, just similar to what the banks are doing. We thought, how do other people validate their members? Well, how can we do something similar? So the, the process to begin with was really, really very manual. And it was really not based on kind of making money at all. It was about figuring out what is the problem and how do we solve it and how does the process look like? From there... <laughs> I one evening went out for drinks with one of my friends and she said to me, hey, you know, this website you've been talking about, is it up and running? And I said, absolutely it is. I didn't necessarily tell her that, you know, I was doing all the manual matching in the background and we were very early stages, but I said, absolutely. And she said, can I sign up? I'm like, absolutely go for it. Which she then did a few days later and she decided to tweet about it. So she has a lot of followers. <laughs> and on the back of it, um, we were picked up in something called Emerald Street, which is an online magazine. I think they have around um, 80,000 subscribers. Well, we had 10,000 coming onto our website, and we had about 1,000 people um, signed up in a space of 24 hours. So, And then on the back of that, within 24 hours, we had the BBC, the Daily Mail, and Independent writing us. Again, everything at the time was manual. The good thing about getting to know our early members so well too was I was able to follow their stories and see how they, they build up like really good friendships. And then also once it came to it and we wanted to do media stories, then from there, you know, it wasn't people I didn't know I asked. It was people I knew personally who I was asking to help tell their story. From there... I thought, oh my gosh, I have to figure out, like a good MBA student, I must figure out how do I you know, make money and you know, build this out to a big business. So I, I asked one of my friends and he said, hold on, like right now you literally just have to figure out a you know, little bit more about the value proposition, who you are as a company. And he recommended that I watch something called How Great Leaders Inspire, uh, Inspire Action by Simon Sinek. If you haven't watched the YouTube video, I highly recommend it. So what I did was I went back and I literally have watched that video probably 15, 20 times. And every single time we have a, a new team member starting, I, I really recommend that they watch that too in the very beginning. Because for us, that's the basic of how we figured out our brand and what we stood for. So for me, I thought, well, we have three different individuals to our circle. We have dog owners, we have dog borrowers, and then we have the dogs themselves. 
And I thought, well, what do they all have in common? Well, dog owners, you know, there might be lots of reasons they sign up. It could be financial reasons. It could be, you know, sometimes it's illnesses. It could be they need their dog to be socialized. But they really want to make their dog happy. That is obviously the number one reason. And from a borrower's perspective, well, you know, lots of borrowers just want that happy, flexible dog time. But it's, again, it's all about happiness. And from a dog's perspective, well, they just want happy playtime, more walks. So what I thought was what everyone has in common, it's really all about happiness. And that's how we came up with the slogan that our aim is to leave portraits of happiness on the lives of dogs and people. And for me, that also fits with me very personally, because while I come from a corporate background and I've done early stage stock companies before, I come from a family where my parents really believe in making a positive difference, whether it's via rotary and whether it's via kind of supporting work locally. So what I used to do was I used to um, deliver aid after earthquakes or tsunamis. So I'm, I'm trained disaster relief work and I've done lots of other things too. And for me, making a positive difference is just so important. So for me, it's all about happiness. It's about, you know, making a positive impact. So for me, that fits so well with me too. So the way we build up our community to date is very much via what we call wacky tales and the media. So as I told you, I got to know our early members very well and by going to the houses. But that has continued throughout the, the lifetime of Boar My Doggy, is that we're really close to our community and we really appreciate hearing their stories. And literally, you know, there's nothing that makes me happier than when we get a story, for instance, recently we had a, a dog owner saying that her dog borrower, who was 70 year old, took her dog for a walk on the beach, and met an 80 something year old man, and they ended up getting married, which I think is just so touching. Or, you know, it can be people ending up spending Christmas together, or, you know, we have quite a few dogs that's ending up being the ring carer at weddings. Like we recently had a sausage of honor, and because the borrower has grown so close to the dog and see the dog as part of the family. But we also see lots of stories where, you know, people are thinking about getting a dog and they're not quite sure what dog breed they should get. Or, you know, from a dog owner perspective, they might go through a really difficult period. It could be, you know, illnesses. It could be, you know, family changes. And then seeing them getting help going through difficult periods, but actually while they built friendships in the process with, with the local borrowers. And we've even seen quite a few dogs move from owner to borrower where the owner hasn't been able to take care of the dog anymore. But then from there, the owner still keeps on looking out for the dog because the dog will only live across the street from them. So in, in that way, you know, we, we, we get so many, many stories. And for me, that is really one of the big things that has, that has motivated me all along to go through the, the more difficult periods of being an entrepreneur sometimes. We are also very fortunate from a social perspective. We are on Facebook Small Business Council, and I think we have at least over 350,000 um, social media followers to date. So what we've done since day one is literally we've just shared our member stories, and we've also shared their profiles. I do realize that it's quite fortunate to work with the photo base that we have, which is literally just thousands <laughs> of cute dog photos, which are called everything from named after Disney characters to food plates to local cities across the world. So it's, it, you know, we have, we have lovely, lovely members, very cute ones. 
And then the team too, obviously the team is fundamental. You as an entrepreneur might have an idea, but it is a team that makes everything happening together with our obviously community, which you know has believed in us and helped make this idea come to life from day one. So very thankful to them too. So here are a few stories. We have a lot of families where they have a dog and then they end up matching up with another family and one family would walk another family's dog, maybe a few days after school every single week, which is really lovely to see. And then Annick, um, Stephanie and Roxy is another um, story we have where um, Annick, she was getting married and she had to go to Australia for around six weeks. And yeah, Roxy is almost, she's very, very close to the borer too. So she ended up spending six weeks with the borers. But we see that a lot, that, that people becomes very, very close. And dogs, where to begin with, the borer took care of them, you know, a few days a week, perhaps, you know, ends up spending vacations or longer terms with the borer, which is very sweet. So I think, the key learnings I have to date about how do you start up a company is you can actually test an idea with very little budget. And I think it's very important early days to um, really get to know the pain points and find the pain points you're solving and really engage with your customers around you. And then finally, it's all about teamwork. I mean, teamwork thinking the actual team, but also you for us, our community, and obviously, you know, our investors too. So it's very important to engage with, with everyone because you have an idea, but it's everyone around you that makes that journey happening. And it's also very much about the network and all the support you need along the way because as an entrepreneur, you just go through so many issues and having people around you who've gone through it and who understand and can help whenever the, the times are really difficult, it's so valuable, just like friends and, and, and family. So very important to keep a strong network. And a lot of my network too has come via you know, my MBA. So you know, get to know people around you and help each other along the way. It would be advice that I definitely would recommend. Rika then took questions from the audience, including the big one for any new business. How do you persuade investors to invest in you? Raising funding has been a challenge. And I actually, I once spoke at a Google panel and I sat next to another entrepreneur and um, her husband had exited a company very successfully. And even though she had this great network around her, she said, probably her rejection rate was 95%. <laughs> so if you go in with the mindset that, you know, generally most of us won't be too far off that, then kind of that's the numbers you have to hit. You have to speak with about 100 investors to perhaps get five investors. I think early days too, you know, what an investor will look for whenever it's seed funding, it is, does he believe in the problem? Does he believe in your solution? And does he believe that you're, or, he, or she, does she believe that you have the team to pull it off? And I think for us, the fact that we could actually at least validate that we had X amount of people who've signed up and we, were already, we already had the first media hits, at least suggested that there was some kind of a need for it. From there, obviously, given I had only, I started out with asking people for one penny and then I went, hmm, maybe I'll increase it to $7.99. <laughs> and then from there, I tried to you know, increase the prices little by little, but it was you know, via PayPal request I sent to begin with. So, so um, 
from there, I didn't have a lot of proof point that people wanted to pay for it because when I first did my pitches, you know, I hadn't made very many people paid more than seven ninety nine, and you know, it was again people where I had personally met up with them. <coughs> so I found, and I still find that it can be very challenging to raise funding. I think the way I found our investors to begin with was the most unexpected ways, and that's to this date the best things that has happened in my life has really happened in the most unexpected ways. So for instance, um, I went to a birthday party. It was on a Thursday. I think it was 11 o'clock at night. And one of my friends said, hey, are you guys still raising some funding for for that website? And I said, yes, sure we are. And she's like, oh, you should speak with this person who's here. And, um, And I did. We sat down. We spoke for 20 minutes and he was telling me that he, he was part of an angel investor club and he's like, why don't you send me an email on Monday and then I can introduce you to the person who organizes the, the events. And so he did. And then I, I was, you know, shortlisted to go and pitch to, you know, this group of investors. And that's how I found what is today still some of our biggest investors. So, and another one was I was invited to join a entrepreneur network on a trip. And I sat next to a guy on a ski lift. At the time, I wasn't really aware that he was an angel investor. <laughs> and we were, while we were going up, like I told him about Spore My Doggy and what we were doing. And then he came to me a little bit later and he's like, well, I think I'd like to put some money in this. And I just went, wow, fantastic. I mean, he's, he's an absolutely amazing person. But I knocked on so many doors, so, so many doors. And... Definitely, if I was to put my list together of how many rejections, the person I sat next to at Google, my numbers are probably not far off. So, so you, never, you never know and also help each other because a lot of investors will be specialized in specific areas. So you might meet an investor that might not be for you, but you might know someone else. And if everyone does that for each other, we all save time. And one of the biggest constraints from an entrepreneur is you're super time poor. So again, it's just about you know, stay in contact and help each other throughout your journeys in life. Rike was then asked about the personal impact of setting up a new business. Has she managed to find that most elusive thing, work-life balance? I think to begin with, I worked insane hours. You know, it was literally when I had another job next to where my doggy, it was the moment that finished and I would work until midnight, get up six o'clock the next morning you know, work a little bit, then go to normal work. And then weekends was just spent on working. I think as time has progressed, I also realized that it's not sustainable. And also, you know, you hopefully raise some funding and and the company gets into a better state. That does take, at least for me, some people move at different speeds. But it took for, for us at least the first three to four years. I think having good family and also friends around you is just essential to remind you that you are not just the company, that there is more to you. And even if something goes wrong, they love you for who you are and not just because you became that company because it's so easy just to let it just take over almost. I reached the point eventually where I needed to stop talking so much about the company and actually just going out with my friends and just focusing on really talking about everything else just to give myself a little bit of head room too and I think sorry I'm gonna keep on pointing down here because my other half and my dad are both here today with it's very unusual and very lucky but having just kind of people around you who support you along the way is and keeping that contact as long as 
as well as networks around you is very important. And then I've done two things too. I got um, a coach, which really helped me, but from a perspective of very often the things that stressed me the most was very difficult conversations I needed to have. And sometimes because of that, I delayed them. So what she has been doing with me is I would literally meet up with her and then she will help talk me through those conversations and, and make sure that I, because I always get concerned that I don't see things from another person's perspective. So she's been helping me, you know, re, you know, talk me through the conversation, you know, and I'm like, how can I best phrase this just to make sure that this comes across at this point? So that has helped me. And then I've also become part of a wonderful female group of tech people, which is super helpful. But I'm also part of a, a founders group where we meet up for dinner once a month and everything is like non-disclosure outside the room, which is also built up a really strong trust, but where we then can talk about, you know, what is going on also from a work perspective. And then from there, um, very often, like one or two topics will get picked out. Like to begin with, everyone just gives an update. One or two t- topics will be picked out. And then everyone gives personal stories where they've seen something similar. So say, for instance, you know, somebody is having an issue with investor or customer or, you know, some of the, you know, typical things you can have as a company then other people will help tell about stories and give information. So it just gives a network where or a place every month where you know that you can share really difficult situations you're going through with, but but get other people's um, feedback on it. But it's a non-judgmental and, and really, I said, everything stays in, in that room. So I think to begin with, I thought, you know, hey, I can do everything I just need to work hard. And then after a while, it's like, no, no, no. You know, I need to be kind of me too. <laughs> and my family and friends are just super important. And, and I needed to find a place around me where I could speak with people who would understand my space. You've been listening to Inspiring Women, a podcast series for Side Business School.